Hello, friends. Have you noticed that you can get caught up in consuming content? Or maybe you notice you are hyper, hyper focused on the doing. Empaths, we often consume. And I know because that was me too, soaking up information from all my favorite teachers and mentors. But it wasn't until I started focusing more on the being and embodiment work that the door to massive clarity was finally unlocked. And I no longer got confused about what was my energy versus everybody else's. I was able to become a more clear channel for creation and as a result, transform my life, business, and health. In fact, my meditation and embodiment practice is what helped me have a nearly $40,000 month this past January, see the highest downloaded month of the podcast, and finally release a lot of unnecessary stress. And my clients felt it and saw it in their lives too. It wasn't reading more articles. It wasn't doing more busy work. So I'm inviting you to graduate from the spongy empath consumer into the self-activated sovereign healer. You can take your podcast listening experience from, ooh, I feel seen, heard, and inspired to, holy shit, I actually feel different. My being has shifted. I am the embodiment of the woman I desire to be. The Third Eye Collective is a simple way to upgrade your experience and commit not only to a meditation practice that complements your healing, but also receive personalized coaching so you can be clear on what direct actions to implement into your highest goals. There are two simple ways to get involved at $11 or $22 a month with no commitment. So if this is calling your name, join this amazing and growing community. Welcome to the Healing Uncensored Podcast. My name is Sarah Small, and I'm a holistic business coach and intuitive healer who supports empaths in creating a thriving body, business, and life. Healing my own chronic illness as an empath led me to become fascinated with energy and more specifically, all the emotional, spiritual, and holistic healing modalities that my doctor never told me about. I began to share my insights and journey online and over time built a powerful community and business supporting women who were also on their path to healing. Think of this podcast as your uncensored and no BS guide to navigating life, health, and entrepreneurship as a highly sensitive person. You'll get no nonsense and totally holistic tips from me in real time as I navigate this healing journey right beside you. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm excited to be back from vacation. And if you haven't been following along on social media, I got super, super sick our last day. Uh, It was not pretty, my friends. And after 12 hours of travel back to Colorado, back to home, I was very excited to be in bed, but I ended up staying there for four more days. And today I am like, unearthing, rebirthing, <laughs> re-emerging, all of the things, just feeling so good um, after taking that rest for myself and really honoring my body. And I talked about this a little bit on my Instagram story, but yeah, 
these feelings of guilt came up. I had to cancel calls. I had to really just like shut everything down for just a couple of days. But those days felt very long and my body felt uh, very exhausted. But it was so important for me to be able to actually slow down and listen to that. And I just want to say thank you because so many of you reached out and said, you know, thank you for showing us that we're allowed to do this and honoring your body and the way that you preach as well, right? Like I tell my clients that it's okay to take a break and to honor their sensitive nature, their empath energy. And that's exactly, exactly what I did the last five days. And again, I'm just so excited to be back. On today's episode, I have Robin Baldwin with me. She is the founder of Autoimmune Thriving and an MS, multiple sclerosis, thriver. She's also a full-time digital marketing director, a fitness lifestyle blogger at robinbaldwin.com, and a Kobo best-selling author of Love Lost, Life Found. She's also a yoga teacher and host of the Alpha Female Podcast, which I had the privilege of being on, gosh, at least a year ago. She was one of the first podcast hosts that ever invited me on, and it was really fun to have a conversation with her. We both have obviously evolved uh, since then, and on today's episode, we're going to be talking about her healing journey, going through some different stages of grief and kind of catapulting herself through those and how that served her and didn't serve her. Uh, Some of these bigger aha moments in her own life and a new program that she's launching that I think you're all going to resonate with, as well as just some of these intuitive pieces and messages that she was getting within her own life around stress management, mindfulness, and what really opened her up to this other way of living life, of healing chronic illness, and living with an autoimmune disease. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. Let's dive in. Welcome to the show, Robin. I am super excited to have you on today. I am so grateful that you're having me on the show. So we've connected, gosh, it's probably been like two years ago on your podcast, the Alpha Female Podcast, and we were both in very different spots as we were just discussing, but I'd love for the, my audience to get to know you better and just your personal story and experience journey with chronic illness and MS. Of course. So I was diagnosed in 2014 with multiple sclerosis or MS and have been basically on my own healing journey of discovering how to help myself not only physically, emotionally, and spiritually, but uh, really tackling, I call them the five building blocks of health, and I tackled those first and foremost, and then have been figuring out how to layer on different healing modalities. Mm -hmm. Um, But I truly have been able to optimize my quality of life through nutrition, supplementation, stress management, sleep, and reducing my exposure to toxins or toxic load as a a popular term in the autoimmune community. Yeah. So I'm I'm actually in remission now, which is an interesting word. There's a lot of talk these days about not using that language, but I'm really proud about how I have helped my body thrive. And I'm in a place now where I don't live with disability, only occasional symptoms when I overheat. Um, but I'm in a place now where conventional doctors don't want to monitor me anymore. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's a great win. 
Yeah, that's a huge win. And so you explain those kind of five building blocks that have been the the base or the foundation of your own healing and getting into remission. What are some of the modalities that you have layered on top to get results? So I started uh, with conventional medicine because that's how I received my diagnosis. So I started with, um, in the MS world, you have a neurologist who, you know, monitors your MRIs and takes a look at how many lesions you have, where they are, uh, and then my family doctor. And I was already seeing a few different uh, modalities before the diagnosis. So I immediately went to a naturopath to optimize my supplementation. I immediately had a um, consultation with a registered holistic nutritionist because everyone was sending me all of this advice around changing how I ate. Mm -hmm. So I chatted with them and then I started layering on even more. So from acupuncturist and traditional Chinese medicine practitioners Mm -hmm. to Reiki to um, there was a, there's a place in Toronto. I was diagnosed when I was living in Toronto before moving to Ottawa and it's called soul seven and they treated me with PEMF beds, um, on-demand machines. So, so many different vibration and resonance um, technologies, I guess is the best way cool. to say it. Um, and then talk therapy as well. I like to joke around and it was kind of like a badge of honor. I say that I went through the five stages of grief within 24 hours while I was in the hospital getting my diagnosis and I wanted to get to acceptance right away. Mm. And it served me very well in my healing journey because I haven't tried to fight against my diagnosis. I've really tried to learn how to live with it. Mm -hmm. Um, But then that didn't serve me very well because then years later I was learning how to live with anger and sadness and denial. Um, what's the other one? There's like, uh, there's one with an R and I was just like, I don't even know what that is. Um, <laughs> but, and, and then sadness. Um, but I just wanted to go straight to, and you know, that's my eternal optimist personality. I just wanted to go to the happy place. I just wanted to figure out how to live with it, how to, um, learn how to actually like support my body instead of getting angry at it and fighting against it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've never used the terms like fighting against MS. I don't know why it just intuitively didn't resonate with me. Yeah. Um, I've always called it my sidekick. I call it my greatest blessing. Um, so I've always tried to like love it instead mm-hmm. of um, getting angry. I've had some really cool conversations around there's a time and a place to fight so that we don't give up. Yeah. Um, and then there's a time and a place for acceptance. So I think that's, um, that's really cool to have those conversations. Yeah. So it's interesting how you said you zoomed through the stages of grief to, to get to that acceptance. Do you feel like any part of your type A personality played into that or into illness as a whole? Yes, because I wanted to just figure out how to project manage my health. Mm. <laughs> um, so Career-wise, I come from a background of working in advertising agencies and media agencies and managing multiple clients. I then went client-side to marketing roles, and I'm actually now back in the agency world 
but I can project manage like a pro. And it's even part of my autoimmune thriving program. I have different healing steps organized in Trello because I absolutely love platforms where I can visually see all the steps. Something that I did um, when I moved from Toronto to Ottawa, I was freaking out about all the things that I do and the routines I had established in Toronto. And my now husband said, well, just write them all down on a piece of paper. You may not need to do them every single day, but at least they're there. So I'm a list personality. I love making lists. I love crossing them off. I was always super proud of myself if I did everything on my healing list, you know, like I had my lemon water in the morning, check. I meditated, check. Like I was so good. And then the days that I may have only done five out of the 10, I was really, really hard on myself. Mm -hmm. So my A-type personality served me well because I, you know, I treated healing like it was a full-time job, like I was project managing it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, research, apply, research, apply. But then when you get to a day where you don't have the energy to do all 10 things, where's the, the grace and the, the forgiveness for yourself and allowing yourself space to not do it, all those things? So right. it served me really well. And then I've definitely struggled mm-hmm. at the same time. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a recovering perfectionist and natural type A type of personality and I resonate with the lists and <laughs> they're <laughs> my my future father-in-law and I were joking about how uh, we put things on lists after we've done them just if they weren't on there already to be able to cross it off <laughs> <laughs> and how rewarding that feels and there's I think parts of that within me that have been really beneficial and really helpful to my success and drive and motivation in life and where it has taken me today. But other parts of that aspect of my personality, of my energy body that make me push harder than I need to and be or maintain these certain standards of as close to perfection as I can get that is also exhausting and wears on the body. And you know, with chronic illness, the body needs all the energy it can to heal itself because it's so capable, yet here I am not helping by trying to do all the things all the time. Curious if if you resonate with that and how being the perfectionist or type A can really serve you, yet there are days where it's like, I, I, got to turn that part of me off and, and love the parts of me that are imperfect. Mm-hmm. I, um, I read When the Body Says No about a year after my diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And there's an entire chapter on MS patients. And the doctor who wrote the book qualitatively and quantitatively grouped his patients. Mm-hmm. And his MS peeps <laughs> were overachievers, type A personalities, Mm -hmm. um, and had gone through a very difficult relationship. It may have been a toxic relationship. Um, And they hadn't learned how to process their emotions properly. And I was like, check, check, check. So when I read that, I think I broke down. I was doing live periscopes at the time every single morning. And I remember breaking down, crying on periscope, realizing that the way that I was showing up in the world 
may have contributed, and I'll be careful with my language because I don't think it caused or correlated it, but may have contributed to the overall unhealth of my, my cells getting confused. Mm-hmm. And that's when I realized, I was like, okay, this is not serving me. And even in my personal brand, alpha female, mm-hmm. it's a super strong masculine energy uh, persona. I have a ton of masculine energy. I remember sitting on a reflexologist's bed. She touched my feet. She hadn't even asked me my name. And she's like, you have a really strong warrior side, but you don't understand feminine energy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, nope, no, I don't. And this is, um, this is a few years. This is about two years ago now. Um, and I've had beautiful conversations around masculine and feminine energy on my podcast to be self-serving, like I need to learn these things. Mm -hmm. But it's true, like if I, you know, I've showed up in the world with a ton of masculine energy, I can do things really, really well. I get stuff done, my do mentality is strong. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to be, and I don't know how, like I'm really great at that, the masculine energy container of Mm -hmm. time and space. but just being, and then even the movement part of feminine energy still to this day confuses me. Like, I'm like, you want me to move and not like no purpose. Like I'm, I'm just, just you want me to what, like dance in a field? Like, I don't get this. So, (laughs) so that's been really hard or even just learning to rest is actually very masculine energy, like being still and it's divine masculine. I'm spending so much time in wounded masculine that even divine masculine energy feels really hard. Yeah. So it's an interesting thing to layer on. I absolutely love that this is being layered on in terms of the, the, the fundamentals of health, which I kind of talked about. Mm-hmm. You do need to start feeling better in your body mm-hmm. before you can tackle um, other things. And yeah. that's just personally what's worked for me is yeah. You know, once my digestion started healing, I was getting um, enough sleep, then I was like, okay, what's next? What can I tackle then? I'm so curious to know if you feel like you've always had this dominant masculine energy or if there have been events or experiences or beliefs in your life that have then kind of like veered you over towards the, like you said, wounded masculine and just really like embodying that so dominantly in your life. Well, if I think back to myself as a kid, Mm -hmm. I was so expressive. I was always hamming it up. I was always moving. I was always running. I was always playing. Um, and I, you know, was either loud or I was crying. Like I let myself feel all the feelings and two things that have come out through psychotherapy. And actually my reflexologist is very intuitive and she does this energy blueprint healing. And I actually think that's been so instrumental to um, me kind of exploring masculine and feminine energy and how that can apply to my healing journey. Mm-hmm. But when she, when she said, you know, you have this warrior energy, you don't understand feminine energy. She asked me to look back on my childhood. I was like, I had a great childhood. Like we don't need to go back to childhood stuff. Like I'm <laughs> good. And she's like, no, no, I'm not trying to uncover anything bad. I'm just trying to find moments where you may have subconsciously learned something. Yeah. And for me, it was, um, I was really, really sick as a baby. 
I had um, a double ureter, which was causing sepsis. So my bladder was leaking into my body because of the double ureter that wasn't attached properly to my kidney. And I was young. I was like 18 months old. So I wasn't communicating that I was in pain. And they found it quite late. I had to have surgeries. I was in and out of hospital. We can talk about, you know, the fact that I've been on antibiotics for a really long time. So like from a physical standpoint, there was that. But then I was left alone quite a lot. So my parents weren't always allowed to stay with me. Um, So I learned from a really young age that I was kind of alone in my experience. And whenever I would cry, my mother is the best comforter. But that taught me subconsciously that it wasn't okay to cry. I had to stop crying as fast as possible because I was upsetting my mom. Yeah. She was just trying to comfort me. So we had, we've had beautiful conversations um, about that um, and how I just thought I needed to stop crying. Like I st- if I start crying, I will bite my lip. I will swallow. Mm. I'm swallowing my emotions. Um, even to this day with my husband, we've had beautiful conversations. He hates to see me cry. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. He wants to comfort me. So trying to explain, I'm like, no, you got to let me cry. He's like, but I don't, I don't want to watch you cry. I'm like, okay, then I'll go in the other room. Yeah. <laughs> so like learning to let myself feel is an ongoing experiment. Mm-hmm. So there was that. And then um, my grandfather passed away at 95. And at his memorial service, I remember watching his eulogy being given and all of his accolades and like there was pictures and certificates all over. I had no idea at the time of his death that he was the president of a Canadian airline. Mm-hmm. Um, he established all of the airports in Canada with the government mm-hmm. and he had sat on a very high government department. And I sat there going like, well, what have I done with my life? Um, My father has a PhD from Harvard. So I have learned in my my teens and my early 20s that I needed to start achieving Mm -hmm. to fit it, to fit into this family, like to be to be part of this family. Like I needed to start getting some accolades to my name. So then I start working harder. This is why I do all these things, because I think achievement equals worth in this world. Mm -hmm. So I have a whole bunch of mindset beliefs around work and worth that I've been working through. So those are kind of the two moments, like feeling alone, learning how to stomach my emotions so that I didn't upset other people, and then (laughs) trying to do way too much in the world. Mm -hmm. I'm sure there's many people who can resonate and have, you know, their own versions of those similar stories where it's like this one, like you said, it's just like, like seeing those things at that funeral, all of a sudden then you created this belief in your mind that, oh, I need to be like that too. And we, we really do like take on these seemingly small things. Like you said, I had a great childhood yet here in this one moment, I then created this belief that has defined so much of my work from that, that, or my career, just like the way I show up in the world from that point forward. And you mentioned before that the, the, when you group the MS peeps together, that there was kind of these themes of the toxic relationship and the, I think you said processing emotions. Are those two things that you've also been able to, or needed to work through for your own healing? 
Yeah. So the fact that I went straight to acceptance, I think was interesting because I didn't want to feel sadness. I didn't want to feel sad that I was diagnosed with an autoimmune disease. I wanted to be stronger. I didn't want to upset anyone around me by experiencing grief out in the open. Mm -hmm. So if I went straight to acceptance, then no one was going to have to comfort me. Mm. Um, And it was the same thing when I, so in 2012, I left a very toxic relationship and called off a wedding and a month before it was supposed to happen. And again, I took like one day off of work to cancel all of the things and went back to work. I would sit at my desk and like, I remember just like wiping tears. So no one would see that I was like visibly upset and dealing with quite a lot of pain and grief. Yeah. So these things, it's just like, it's ingrained in me. So I see it happening and then, you know, I'll have a moment. So probably like a year and a half after the diagnosis, um, every time I would get, I only get symptoms when I overheat. So the lesion on my C2, C3, um, around the myelin sheath, which has exposed the central nervous system, um, at that time, the inflammation was slowly going away, but it's still technically there. And and we have yet to understand if the remyelination can actually happen. Mm. But um, if I overheat, my nerves can't talk to the rest of my body because of where the lesion is. And so the, the symptoms that I got at time of diagnosis, which is the entire right side of my body went numb, they'll come back. So a year and a half, I think I was training for one of the obstacle course races because I needed to run 20 the year after my diagnosis, um, which is a whole nother <laughs> overachiever story. Uh-huh. Uh, so I remember like, tr- like training for a race or running a race, like one of the races I did, I was out on course for nine hours. There was no water. They ran out of water at one point, so I couldn't mm-hmm. cool myself down. I was going blind in one eye. I was crying. I was just crying. Like I was just literally walking up a mountain, just tears, sobbing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, okay, this is, I guess, when I'm going to process this like frustration, sadness, mad that my body is having to deal with this, that I have this disease. Um, so it's interesting that my, my healing journey has included moments where I've just kind of been like broken and fallen to my knees and like, okay, I'm gonna have to process these emotions now. Mm-hmm. I can't hide from them anymore. I can't stomach them. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's on the middle of a mountain by myself, trekking. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna come up. I, I think we all learn that the hard way sometimes where it's like, if we choose to just say, I'm fine, I'm okay, acceptance. And like, we don't experience our emotions. It's like, in the short term, we feel like, ooh, I, I cheated the system and I got away with it. And I don't have to experience all that. But what I think we learn, and maybe some people have learned this and some people haven't quite yet, but I think that it comes back in some way eventually, whether that's through illness, through pain, through inflammation in the body, or eventually it just, it, it overflows where it's to the point where it's like your bucket is full. There's no more space for you to hide all these things inside of you. And then like, you're going to be climbing up a mountain and you're just going to start crying. And you're gonna be like, why am I crying? I don't know. Because like all of a sudden it just needs to, it needs to come out. It needs to process. It needs, there's not enough space to keep all of this inside of us forever. Right. Mm-hmm. 
And the universe will keep presenting itself with the opportunities to learn. So if I am learning that I need to actually feel my feelings and process them, it's going to keep presenting me with moments where I need to allow myself to feel. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm, you know, if I need to learn that my work and my worth are not tied together, it's going to keep presenting me with opportunities where I need to actually let go of that concept for um, a side hustle or a business to thrive. Um, so the universe is going to keep presenting you with those things, um, no matter how self-aware you are and can have conversations on podcasts about them, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to keep coming up until you actually learn the lesson. Yeah, absolutely. And <laughs> just like reflecting on these moments of my life where I did say, yeah, I'm fine. And sure enough, it came back eventually in some way. And it's not like we can all always pinpoint what like like you said like the sadness that comes up sometimes you know okay I have sadness because of xyz and other times you're feeling sad and you're like I don't even know where this is coming from but it could have been from a week ago and it could have been from when you were two like who knows but like these emotions they don't always have to necessarily make sense but we we certainly do need to to process them and you you mentioned um stress management kind of mindfulness as well it is part of this holistic healing after receiving your diagnosis i'd love for you to just share any sort of stress management and mindfulness tips and tools that you utilize in your own life that have been most effective for you to start to to balance yourself back out whether it's feminine masculine or it is your body and your hormones or whatever like just this overall feeling of balance how is have those things played into that role and that part of your journey. Mm -hmm. So if you haven't guessed already, I probably am also the personality type that doesn't know how to handle stress very well. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's an A-type quality, uh, but when I am, sorry, the dogs are going, (laughs) this is the time of day where everybody walks by on the street and it's it's appropriate. Yeah. Um, So When I'm presented with a a physical or an emotional stress, I immediately like get mad at it. Like, why are you here? Why do I have to deal with you? Like, that's just my personality. So I'm doing a lot of mindset work around not being reactive to perceived stress. So Mm -hmm. an angry client email at my full-time job um, or, you know, Um, someone not showing up to a yoga retreat that I've organized and, you know, just letting that be. So it, it's being really, really present in the moment and saying like, this is not harming you. This is not hurting you. You're not dying. This is not, you know, fight and flight does not need to be activated right now. And it's little, like really simple things. I have a post-it note on my computer monitor at the office that says breathe. Because I literally will just tense up and I will hold my breath and I'll be like, why did they send this email? Like, I need to respond right away. I've learned over the course of, you know, in my 20s, I would respond right away. Now I walk away from the computer and don't answer for a few hours. <laughs> but, um, but it's just having that simple reminder on a post-it note that is so simple. But I will take six deep breaths, close my eyes before I go about answering or moving on to the next task. Yeah. Um, It's the same thing in terms of like little life things, you know, 
uh, being in a really long lineup of, at the grocery store. And uh, because I love future thinking, I'm a planner. So I'm always like, okay, you know, I've got five things to do today. Here's all those things. I used to be the person that would like tap their foot, get super stressed. Now I just stand in the line and breathe and just focus on really being present in that moment, noticing the sounds around me, you know, maybe listening to a kid crying in a grocery cart a few lines over, but not reacting to it, just simply noticing has been huge. And then the other thing is my quiet mornings. Um, so I used to be up at the break of dawn, rush to the gym, get a morning workout in before heading to the office. And now I'm craving quiet mornings. Mm -hmm. So I'm curling up on my meditation cushion. I'm pulling a card. I'm meditating for 10 minutes. Um, I'm reading. I have like a pile of books beside my meditation cushion. I'm um, then maybe starting some side hustle tasks like uploading the podcast or writing a blog but I'm no longer rushing to the gym in the morning. So it's those simple things that have really been instrumental in allowing me to start my day um, slower instead of um, hitting the ground running. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That, <laughs> that's something that I find myself falling into and out of and the mindful mornings where I'm taking part in ritual or making a hot tea and just like slowly easing into my day or journaling, they always feel so much better than the days that I rush out and have to go, you know, whatever is it. I don't have to rush to work ever because I work from home, but sometimes I do have to go to the, the yoga studio or something and it just feels so much better to be mindful and to be aware of how I how I feel when I wake up versus again, avoiding the emotion, avoiding what is surfacing and instead being fully present with what is and what has surfaced. But then I sometimes will fall out of practice and I'll go back into some of my old like dominant masculine ways where it's like, Oh, you should start working now, Sarah, like, you know, work hard. And when you work hard, that makes you like more successful or a better person, all these limiting beliefs that used to be in my mind. And I catch myself now though, like you said, that awareness and it's like, catch myself going, this is an old pattern. This is an old story and it's just very familiar. So I'm falling back into it, but this is not the way that I want to live my life moving forward. And I want to create these new subconscious programs so that I don't keep falling back into those old patterns and behaviors. So yeah. something interesting, I think very much related to stress that you brought up before is the cost of holistic health. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard I can't afford this or why is it so expensive or, and I'd love to get your take on creating financial stability within the autoimmune healing community and how we can make it more accessible for all people to receive the, the healing and the treatment that they need for, yeah, thriving health. Like, like you know, like your brand says, autoimmune thriving. I love this subject. So I've recently realized that my throat chakra was blocked because I wasn't having these conversations. Mm -hmm. So when I was diagnosed, I was working in a really, really great job for a tech company in Toronto. And it, was, it wasn't even a thought that holistic health was going to cost a lot. 
um, I had a great benefit package. And then the minute, you know, my, um, they call it paramedical here in Canada, my paramedical was maxed out. So I had like 500 for acupuncture, 500 for massage therapy. Once that was done, I was like, okay, yeah, I'm fine paying out of pocket. This isn't an issue. Um, and then I was offered treatments like at soul seven, which has this PEMF technology, they have crystal vibration beds and they offered me these therapies in exchange for blogging. Mm. So I, I didn't even know what the cost was for some of these things. And I would blog about them. And I only started realizing that this was maybe prohibited to most people when someone messaged me and said, well, what is the cost of that treatment? I was like, well, you'll have to contact Soul7. I'm not sure. And they're like, oh, so you're talking about all these things, but you don't, you're not actually paying for them. I'm like, no, it's a contra <laughs> a relationship. Mm -hmm. um, and that's when I kind of realized like, oh, I'm promoting all of these things, but is it accessible to most people? Right. And within my first year of diagnosis, I wanted to do a blog. I was actually going to write a blog post about how autoimmune disease is for rich people. <laughs> if you want to take care of yourself, you have to be financially stable. And then I was like, I'm going to probably piss off a whole lot of people. So I'm not going to talk about it. I'm just going to, I'm going to hide away. And, um, I was actually, this is, this is really cool, but I was reading out, um, to my husband on the drive back from the cottage this weekend the article in New York mag that the balanced blonde has been making very popular around uh, yeah. chronic Lyme. Mm -hmm. And when you read that article yet again, it seems to be uh, a disease that is only for rich people. Mm -hmm. And that was, that was crazy. So when I, when autoimmune thriving first um, was planted as an idea in my head, I wanted to ensure that I was giving back to the community. So if holistic health is really, really expensive for most people to manage and they can't take advantage of all of the different healing modalities because of finances, how could I give back? So I have a portion of the proceeds of my online program and the retreats that I host that will always go into this treatment fund. And I literally have no idea how it's going to work. I just know that this needs to happen. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that I will always give back to the community to someone who may not have benefits, uh, Canadian language or insurance, U.S. language, um, and may, you know, they may be doing everything possible for themselves, but they've never tried acupuncture. And if I can pay for one appointment, maybe that's amazing. Mm -hmm. And those that are financially stable and have the finances to be able to afford programs like my autoimmune thriving program, how can that program then potentially benefit someone that isn't able to afford it? Mm -hmm. um, and I may do scholarships down the road, like there's, there's all that. But it's fascinating to me that, uh, and I don't know where this is going, but that holistic health and all of these healing modalities, which I believe support our bodies in becoming less confused, mm -hmm. is something that you need finances for. So how can we create energy? How can we help people feel better so that they can then um, work or create businesses that they love mm -hmm. and then they can afford the healing plan that suits them best? Yeah. So it's like, it's twofold. It's like creating the health and the energy and the vitality that people need to function in this world. Um, and then, you know, giving them that stability so that they can go out and become financially sustainable or abundant. 
so that they can take care of themselves. And then we give that back Mm -hmm. um, into the autoimmune community. So it's like this, this cycle that needs to happen. Mm, That's such a good resource for people to be able to tap into. And I'm curious too, what, what would you say to the woman who, or, or man, anybody who, or it could be a mother or a father too, of a child that might be struggling with, with health issues and they're wanting, you know, wanting to take a holistic approach yet, you know, maybe, maybe they do have insurance and insurance covers whatever limited amount of conventional medicine, at least here in the U S but it really doesn't cover any of the holistic options. Like you were saying, which makes it prohibitive and prevents people from getting the treatments that could really help them. But let's just say that that person's just really stressed out right now. And how, how can we guide them? How can we support that person or even just encourage them that it like, it's going to be okay and that there are solutions. Mm -hmm. I had a really great conversation with, um, so I have, um, Uh, five experts that are participating in the autoimmune thriving program, because I don't pretend to be a a doctor certified in any of these um, kind of modalities or even experts. I just know how to curate information really well. Mm -hmm. And so I have a functional medicine doctor participating in some of the last modules around stress and reducing toxic load. And I asked every single practitioner I recorded interviews for my podcast and I said, you know, when you're presented with a brand new autoimmune uh, disease diagnosis patient, how would you guide them in starting? Mm -hmm. And over and over again, it's like, what is their biggest pain point? So intake forms are so important, whether it's in my program or going to see a doctor, like what are your biggest pain points? And then how do you address those first? So you see success and start feeling better. Mm -hmm. So for example, if someone has no energy, how do you tackle sleep for them first before you tackle nutrition? Because mm-hmm. sometimes nutrition is touted as the most important, but if they're not sleeping and they have no energy to actually meal plan or prep or grocery shop or even cook one meal, mm-hmm. then nutrition doesn't matter. So that was kind of interesting to see, but it's really addressing the top pain points, um, grading them on a scale of one to 10. So, you know, mm-hmm. grade, grade your sleep. Do you, you know, do you think the quality and quantity of your sleep is one really, really bad or 10 really, really good? Mm-hmm. If it's near the low end, you're probably going to want to address sleep first. Stress. If you're crying and um, angry and feeling all of the emotions, maybe it's going to see a talk therapist first before addressing your nutrition. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really having someone go within, become super self-aware of what they need first and teaching them how to listen to their body to actually so that they themselves say, you know what, I'm going to tackle this area first because that feels good. That intuitively um, feels good to me because we want to also teach people to be proactive healthcare advocates for themselves and not rely mm-hmm. on not only their practitioners, rely on them from a collaborative standpoint, but not rely on us either for creating programs or podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we can't be the gurus. We have to be simply um, like I'm calling myself a tour guide. Like mm-hmm. I'm simply being like, check out this or check out this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah. So yeah. It's, just, it's guiding people to become their best advocates. I love that. And yeah, I feel like to sum that up, it'd be like prioritizing where do I start and then doing what you can, right? Like, and then also realizing that there are 
wonderful people like you who have put together treatment funds and some areas of the internet and organizations that may be able to help people out if they really are in a crunch and really seeking solutions that are prohibitive to them in this time. And yeah, it's, it's a, it's a complicated conversation, right? Because a lot of it's that the system's broken. Our health care, the way that we deliver healthcare in the U S I don't know as much about Canada, but like also there's a lot of systemic really rooted issues. And so if we can't just change, cause you and I can't just change that today, even if we wanted to, even if we had a great solution to how we thought it should be, we can't change that today. So we, but we, what we can do, right. And like what I see you doing is going, well, how can I change this? What difference can I make? well, I can start to give back. I can create this treatment fund. I can help people understand how to prioritize, like what, what should be like the top thing that they address first and empowering them in that way, um, you know, versus trying to change the entire system, at least on our own. <laughs> yeah. Like one of the modules in the course is how to build your healthcare team. So it is, you know, here's what your options are realistically. Mm -hmm. um, how do you go into appointments with confidence discussing your healing plan mm -hmm. versus scared, overwhelmed, feeling talked down to or not knowing the questions to ask or yeah, how to speak up for yourself and request lab tests be done. Um, so yeah, it's all about teaching confidence and empowerment mm -hmm. to use the tools that we have. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, Robin, thank you so much for all of your knowledge. I just love to hear a little bit more about what you have coming up next and how people can get involved with you and your amazing programs. And if just is, there's anything you feel like we left out today, I'd love to have you share that as well. So I'm hanging out a lot on Instagram under the, the, the brand autoimmune thriving. Um, so I'm hanging out there as myself, but I'm really, really uh, focused on building this program right now. We're recording this on August 7th, the day of launch, and it's closing on August 21st. Um, so I'm really excited uh, to be launching it and welcome in the first enrollees for the inaugural program. I'm hosting retreats in and around the Ottawa area in Canada. So I'm doing a few yoga retreats a year. And then the treatment fund is going to be national in terms of Canada and U.S. in the future. So I'm really excited that always a portion of the, the proceeds from the two uh, retreats in the program will always go into this treatment fund. So I would love for people to come over to Instagram and just hang out on at Autoimmune Thriving. Yeah, amazing. I hope people take advantage of all the value and resources that you are creating for the world. And I so appreciate your time, wisdom, and energy today. Thank you for being on. Thank you for holding space for me.